Well, Bob, my biggest concern coming into the season, if you go back and you listen to Crossed Up over the last several weeks, my my biggest concern coming into this season was pitching for this team. Not just the bullpen, but also starting pitching. After today, maybe my concern can be allayed just a little bit. And we can talk about it because the Phillies won again today, 5-0 over the St. Louis Cardinals behind eight shutout innings from Jared Eikhoff. And they are they win the series two out of three, uh, 21-15 as, as we record this on Wednesday night. Um, really a, a good start to this week. Uh, against a pretty good Cardinals team, and and they they got good pitching in two of these three games, and you know Bob, that's that's a that's a pretty good spot to be. I think the last couple of weeks we've started shows saying like what a difference a night makes. We were going to record on Monday, we ended up recording Tuesday, and it's an entirely different show because of it. And it's the same thing this week. We had a scheduling conflict on Monday, couldn't record after that miserable loss. Then last night we were going to record. Uh, after the 11-1 win. And, and my uh, internet and cable was out because yeah, somebody was crashed that into weather a... weather-related or... Nope. It was no. a car. <laughs> it hit, yes. a, hit a telephone pole, and it, the pole, part of the pole fell and knocked out cable to the neighborhood. Yeah, it's no good. I was like, I was all excited. I said, hey, they won 11-1 here. Now we're yeah, talking. It's going to be a super positive show. And then you hit me with that, and I said, jeez. Oh, but then they come back today, and uh, Jared Eikhoff, like you said, eight innings, uh, shut out baseball. He worked with a good pace, and uh, he was dominant in this game. And you talked about it, and, and this is something that we've we've discussed in previous episodes. You know, to what extent should we be buying into the early returns uh, that that have been mostly positive from this rotation? You see that Aaron Nola, after a really difficult start now, his ERA is sub five. He's into the mid fours. Um, he's allowed only one earned run in three consecutive starts. Jared Eikhoff has just been a revelation since replacing Nick Pavetta in this rotation. Uh, Jake Arrieta continues to be consistently effective uh, and and really Vince Velasquez got off to a hot start but has certainly regressed a little bit specifically on Monday night he ran into a some control bit. issues and, oh. and <laughs> he just can't get through five innings all of a sudden and uh, it's, it's not a on the bit same page with his, there. not on the same page with his catcher no no it, and th- there's not <laughs> a lot to like there at the moment but overall when you step back and look at the big picture yeah the starting rotation has been excellent uh, really over the last two and a half three weeks and you, you talked about it against a good Cardinals team. It's one thing when you're at home and you're playing a, a, a bad Marlins team, um, a very mediocre Tigers team, a light-hitting uh, Detroit Tigers team, and a just completely depleted Washington Nationals lineup. But then you go out to St. Louis against a team that's top 10 in a lot of major offensive categories, and you get the type of pitching that you did last night with Nola and then again this afternoon with Eikhoff. And, and yeah, there's a lot of reason to be pretty optimistic about what you're seeing from this rotation right now. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you one of the things I want to give, you know, and I don't know who to specifically give the credit to, whether it's Chris Young or some advanced scouts or whatever the case might be. But you know, the one thing about the Cardinals um, is that they – are a very aggressive offensive team, um, and it, the Phillies really took advantage of that, at least the last two nights. And I think that that's why there was some frustration uh, on the part of Real Muto uh, on Monday when Velazquez um, kind of imploded uh, because he wasn't following the game plan. Um, there and and he kept trying to beat them with fastballs, knowing that they're an aggressive team. And finally, the Cardinals caught up to him. Um, but uh, somebody had an 81 pitch complete game shutout against the Cardinals last week. I'm trying to remember who I think it was. It was Hendricks, K- Kyle Cubs, Hendricks, right? Yeah, yeah, Kyle Hendricks, right? Um, and uh, so you, when you throw in a complete game, is one thing. I mean, they're rare enough as it is in Major League Baseball. But when you do it in 81 pitches, it tells you a lot about the team that you're facing. Means that they're they're swinging at everything, so the Phillies really approached this Cardinals lineup 
in a very smart fashion. Um, Nola was really locating well, obviously, um, on on Tuesday, but you know, Eikhoff in, in the start on on Wednesday today um, really was beating them with his slider. Um, it was his curveball in his first couple starts, but it was the slider today really got them chasing the pitch out of the strike zone, especially down and away to righties. Um, and it was a really smart game plan. Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from Jared Eikhoff. We'll talk about him individually in, in just a minute. But I think that the, the Phillies had a really nice pre-scout against the Cardinals. And you could see what their game plan was. And their pitching staff executed it, with the exception of Velazquez, uh, pretty solidly throughout this series. Yeah. I, Gabe Kapler, a couple weeks ago, um, during the last homestand, talked about Jared Eikhoff. And he was saying that he's a throwback pitcher. You know, we see today in, in 2019, you have major league pitchers. They're all hitting 95, 96, 97 miles an hour. They're power pitchers. They have wipeout sliders. And Eikhoff isn't really uh, – he doesn't fit that traditional type of mold. He's a guy that uses the curveball. He uses the off-speed stuff and kind of spots the fastball. And that's really what you don't see in today's game. And so it's, it's interesting, and you mentioned it, the curveball was the primary pitch. And teams were sitting on it and saying, like, we're going to see a lot of curveballs. And they really haven't done a lot with it. I mean, he's racked up a ton of strikeouts in recent starts. Today really uh, being the exception, I believe, what do you have, like four strikeouts? Yeah, I think today he only had four, innings. yep. He had really been racking up strikeouts prior to today's start, and I have no problem that he didn't today because he was so efficient and generated a lot of weak contact. But the curveball had been such a weapon for him. And then today, like you said, the slider makes an appearance, and he threw that effectively, and then that became a plus pitch for him in this start. And you start to look at it and you go, okay, if he can command the fastball and he still has the effective curveball and then he adds a formidable slider to the mix – there's staying power here. Now, I'm not going to tell you that he's going to continue to pitch to a 1-5 ERA for the remainder of the season with a sub-1 whip. It's not going to happen. But can this guy be that 3-4 starter that this team needs? It, it seems to be increasingly probable that, that that may be the case. And so when you look at this rotation and you assess what the Phillies are going to be long-term, you have to feel pretty good about whenever he's taking the ball on any given day right now. I think there's a lot of reason to think that there's – there's some sustainability to this. Yeah, I, and there's there is, and maybe I'm not as surprised as everyone else is. Um, I, and I don't want to make it th- make anyone think that. Oh, see, I've been saying all along that Jared Eikhoff should have been in this rotation, and then he was a, lo- a linchpin to this. Blah, blah blah blah. I'm not saying that at all. But I, I I always you look at a track record, right? And you sit there and say you don't do what he did for two seasons with the Phillies. By accident, you don't you don't start forty one games, and you know be a, a lights out. Well, I don't say lights out, but a really solid pitcher. Right. Um, and, and then and then and then just forget how to do it after that. So this was the thing that I and I, I mentioned to you before we. Before well, I we think started the recording. reason that, that that I quit on him was just the the injuries. The, the, yeah. When it's like I can't feel my hands and carpal tunnel and nerve damage. Oh, you start talking about things like that with a major league pitcher. You, I think it was understandable at points during last season to say, like, I think that we're going to have to move on from this guy. I don't think he factors in. Yeah, and, and, and that's fine. But I also – maybe it's because I've, <laughs> I've had the surgery that he had where they move the nerve in your arm, and I know how much better it feels after that surgery right. is done, right? <laughs> so, like, I maybe it's because I had the same injury. Not that I'm a major league pitcher, but the, I know that feeling eventually comes back. i, I got to be honest. You know, after I, I had that surgery in July of 2017, 
And after the surgery, you know, you get the stitches out and you take the wrapping off and everything else. There was a, a section of my left arm um, below my elbow and, you know, a little bit towards, uh, towards my forearm that had zero feeling. Like I couldn't feel a thing like, at all. Like there was, it was dead. And I remember going to the doctor. I'm like, what the hell? Like it, it almost feels like it's paralyzed. And he, the way it was explained is there are nerves. And this is, see, this is why we got to be careful because reporters report stuff and they don't really know what they're talking about <laughs> when they report it. They weren't reporting wrong. He did have nerve damage because I had nerve damage as well. But when you have nerve damage in your skin, which is a lot different than nerve damage in your arm, when you have nerve damage in your skin, basically what happens is, is it takes a while for the nerves to regenerate themselves and to give you that feeling back. And the doctor who did the surgery on me used to be the Phillies, by the way, used to be the Phillies hand and wrist specialist. Um, isn't, I don't think he is anymore. I don't think that's who Eikhoff had the surgery done by. But um, anyway, said to me that it sometimes takes up to 12 months for that feeling to come back, for those nerves to regenerate themselves in your skin. And he says, and you're gonna f- it's just going to feel weird as you go to do something. You're like, oh, my God, why does my arm feel strange? I, and when I heard Eikhoff say the things he was saying, I was like, yeah, man, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I feel the same stuff, but it, but it comes back. And so, therefore, I looked at it and said, you know, if that was really the issue and he just had to move that nerve and, and really kind of feel better in his arm and get past that point in time when he was having the, uh, the, un- the weird feeling or the, or the numbness or, the, you know, or not being able to feel anything in a part of his arm for a little while. And it took you know, a little over a year for it to happen. He could certainly get back to what he was before. And in those two years, Bob, 1.13 whip in 248 innings and 41 starts, 3-4-4 ERA, he was a solid, solid pitcher. So to think that, you know, all of a sudden he's going to forget how to do that because he had a little bit, he had to, you know, deal with an issue, an arm issue that isn't a typical pitcher arm issue. It's not like it's an elbow or shoulder. It was a little bit different kind of a problem. Um yeah, I could see I could I could see him getting back to that. And if he's that, then he's a number 3. And there's no doubt he's a good and a good number 3 at that. Well, you look at the last four starts now. Um he goes back to uh, April 21st against Colorado, right? He goes 6 innings and he allows 4 earned runs. The start after that against the Marlins, he goes 7 innings, no earned runs. And then he goes uh five against the Nationals last week and gives up one earned. So if you just go back over the last three starts, right, that's 20 innings pitched, and he's allowed one earned run. I mean, what he's been able to do over the last three, four starts here, dating back to the end of April, has been extraordinarily impressive, and you said it. I mean, you went through the surgery. You kind of have a little bit of a similar experience, though. Very different occupations, for sure. (laughs) Yes. Um, but, I mean, it does give you a little bit of perspective. I mean, I think a lot of times we as, as fans or outsiders look at it and say, okay, well, you had an ailment and it's been rectified, and so why aren't you back to 100% right away? And, and maybe it does take a little bit of time, and there is an adjustment period there. And I think in addition to the actual physical component of it, there's a confidence aspect in things as yeah, well. And I sure. think that it, maybe he was trying to find himself and regain his confidence and, and really needed that assuredness that he could go back out and perform at a high level. And whatever the case may be and the path that he's taken, he seems to feel great right now and seems to be ultra confident in what he's doing. And it's been a big boost for this rotation. Um, do I, I, I don't know. Like you, you said that the ceiling might be the three. I, I just think that at the end of the day, I think you can say that the Phillies – have a legitimate four or five guy that you can feel good about. And maybe the ceiling is a number three starter if we're trying to slot him. But 
I do think that this guy is 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 going to stick and is going to continue to perform reasonably well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the way I look at it too, Bob. I mean, you you say uh, one earned run in the last three games. You're you're right. Um, you know, if you even look at the other two performances that he had this year, the first one was in relief, but it was four innings in relief of Pavetta against the Mets. Uh, strike out, struck out six, only allowed three hits, didn't give up a run. The Colorado game, the only game where he's got like a blemish, um, and he gave up four runs in six innings uh, in that game. But the first five innings of that game, he was yeah, he was yeah, lights out. He, 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 six things, tagged, right? he just got yeah. tagged in one inning. So really, that was, on, was that on Easter Sunday? I think that was a, a Easter Sunday. Uh, game. Yes, it was. Yeah. That was Easter yeah. Sunday. So really, he's now pitched five appearances, four starts. Okay. Um, and that's uh, 30 innings this season, and he's had one bad inning. Yeah. So 29 really good innings and one bad inning. So let's look at it that way. That's pretty impressive. That, to me, even more so than oh, only one earned run in the last three games, he's had one bad inning out of 30. Absolutely. Uh, the other encouraging thing, and we just talked about it a moment ago before we got into the Eikhoff discussion, was uh, the performance of Aaron Noel last night, yep. and he's starting to heat up now. Uh, yeah. He walked off the field uh, a few starts ago. I guess it might have been, uh, I, I want to say, three or four starts ago. Uh, he walked off the field at City Field. And uh, I believe he had given up five earned runs over four innings against the Mets. And it was pretty unimpressive. And it had been on the back end of a, a string of several unimpressive starts. And we're looking at Aaron Nolan. We're saying, what the hell's going on? You know, this isn't the guy that finished third in Cy Young bouting a, a year ago. Um, I, I got to say, it, it seems like, it, and again, we talked about the quality of competition, the previous couple of starts he was good against the Tigers he was fairly good against the Marlins before that but to go out to St. Louis last night on the heels of a 6-0 loss the night before where Vince Velasquez really struggled Aaron Nola relied very heavily on the change up and the curveball last night through 70% of his curveballs for strikes it looked like he finally had that curveball command back what we expect from him uh, and St. Louis really struggled with it and it, for me by far this was the most encouraging Aaron Nola start that we've seen this season and I'm starting to kind of regain my comfort level with him, and uh, just you know, kind of curious to see where you're at on Aaron Nola. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, and, and I go back even one start beyond that. Like I go back to the Colorado game um, on the that the day before Easter. Um, he pitched five and two thirds, uh, three earned runs. And if you remember, that was the game where he really started. Like he struggled early, and then the it was almost like we. And if we go back, I think we go back and listen to it. You know, we said the light switch came on in like the third inning for him in that game. Like he started to pitch really well in that third inning, and he was excellent for three innings against the Rockies. Finished with nine strikeouts in that game. You up two home runs, but they were both early. Um, and you could, and it was. And I remember lamenting that that's when he got pulled for Adam Eaton to pitch to Charlie Blackman in the sixth inning. Mm-hmm. Right? And I remember saying, well, who's going to throw to Charlie Blackman yeah, and then later? And, he, right, and Blackman right. hit the home run. So, so, but that was the, that was that game. And, and I wanted to see Nola stay in because of how well he was pitching. And, and it was like, it was almost like he figured it out and remembered how to pitch. Yeah. Now, if you take that start and the three starts prior to it, so from April 3rd to April 20th, he lasted only 19 innings over those four starts, had an yeah. 8.53 ERA with a 1.84 whip. Yep. And, you know, there was some some talk about the conditions, and he, he did pitch in poor conditions a few times, uh, wet, moist conditions, cold conditions, and, you know, him being a southerner and all of this stuff. And 
the whole thing going into last night's start was, well, he's finally getting good weather. Let's see what he does with it. And he, he was very good last night. Yeah. Um, I just – my expectation is that he's going to be fine. And even when he was bad, I think that we on this show kind of said, like, well, is it concerning? Yeah, a little bit because he just doesn't look anything like what he did a year ago. But now as you see him starting to progress, and like you said, he figured it out in that start in Colorado, and you, you piggyback the three starts after it, he looks much more like the guy that we saw over the last two seasons than the guy that we saw in the first month of this one. Yeah, the one thing that I have left that I want to see him get is a little bit of length. Still hasn't yeah, gone, like se- still still hasn't gone six, seven yeah. innings. He still yeah. hasn't gone seven innings in, a, in any start. And Only I actually mo- thought he had a chance against the Tigers last week at home, and yeah. then he ran into trouble in the sixth inning. Yep. Uh, and he, he kind of got jammed up there. I thought he was on his way to seven, eight innings uh, at one point against the Tigers uh, yeah. last week. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, if, if Zach Eflin can throw us a complete game and Jared Eikhoff can give us eight innings, hey, let's leave Aaron Nola in for a little bit. I, you know, I'm starting to see I'm, star- I'm starting to see a little bit of that. You know, when you, you see Eflin yeah. pitch length and you see Eikhoff being allowed to stay in game. Like, and Eikhoff threw, I think it was 106 pitches today over eight innings. That's great. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to see. I think that this team will be better. If the starting pitchers pitch longer, and I know that sounds stupid, <laughs> yeah. right? I know that sounds like yeah, really no, ridiculous, I know, I know right? What you're saying. I but know, the, yeah. but but if they can just give give this team between six and seven innings a start, this the Phillies will be fine. The Phillies yeah. will be absolutely fine. If and you I think they were. Six and seven. I think we're in the same place that we were a week ago with Zach Eflin, and I don't really want to repeat it, but I think that both of us kind of agreed. Like we've seen this from him before. He's put together four, five, six really good starts. He did it last June into early July uh, in the 2018 season, and he went out on Sunday afternoon, and he was really good against a like I, I think I used the word depleted Nationals lineup uh, earlier in the show. That's what you want to see him do. That's what he should do in that situation. But I think what we had said a week ago still holds true. Like, let's see how it goes over another three, four starts, and and let's see how it goes once the competition revs up a little bit as well. But again, as far as Zach Eflin's concerned, you have to be really concerned. What you, or I'm sorry, you have to be really uh, pleased with what you've seen from him thus far. Yep. And so when you start to look at guys like Eflin, Eikhoff, and then what Nola is starting to do, that's the reason for hope. And and really from. Start number one through now, Arietta's probably been the most consistent of, of all of them. He's yep. the one guy that really hasn't ebbed and flowed here. It's just been consistently quality starts. And I know that he did have a little bit of a poor start against the Marlins at home last weekend. Uh, but he was also, I think he, I believe he only allowed one earned run through the first five innings of that game. Right. And then he yep. went out in the sixth and got tagged up. So it's not like he was a mess in that game either. I, I, I guess I have a question. The, the one thing that I want to talk about with this rotation, because this is what it's going to be at least for the next month and a half, two months, right? Like, it's going to be Zach Eflin. It's going to be Jerry well, Eikhoff. It, well, it, it is. I mean, those four, were, those four guys, it's going to be right, for the next. <laughs> right. And I think, yeah, I think, so, so let me finish. The one guy that we're not sure about is our old pal Vince Velasquez. And I gave him credit early in the season. You know, while a lot of the Philly starters were stumbling in the early going, Vince Velasquez was the one that really actually kind of brought some stability to things, which, you know, there's some irony in that. He wasn't going deep into games, but he was, he was throwing a lot of clean innings. He was giving them five, you know, five-plus innings of one to zero run baseball. And they say, okay, okay, if he can do that consistently, I don't need him to go six or seven. If he's going to throw zeros on the board, I'll take five. I'll take five and one or five and two from him. 
Now, the last couple times out, he, he can't get through five innings. He was a disaster against the Cardinals the other night. He wasn't very good the time before that against the Tigers. They bombed him as well. Uh, you really had one terrible inning in that start, start with some bad defense in that game. I guess my question is this. If it's not going to be Vince Velasquez, and I think it's starting to become pretty obvious that Vince Velasquez is not a viable long-term starter in a winning rotation. I, like, are you comfortable saying that at this point? Yeah, and I because I wanted I, I really want to get into what Velasquez, I mean, uh, what uh, Real Muto said about him. But go ahead, okay. fin- finish your Let's thought. Let's do that in a second. Because I think that that I think that that tells you right away that they don't even think that he's a long-term. Right. Like, I think that this is a stopgap thing. And I think if the Phillies were to assess where they're at right now through 36 games at 21, what are they, 21 and 15 right now? Correct. I I think that they would assess where they're at and say, like, this is an area that we're going to have to address. Now, the question is, for as high as they were on Nick Pavetta back in March, I mean, they were they were talking about him being a, a potential number two starter. In this rotation, and obviously it didn't go well for four turns through the rotation. He goes down to Lehigh Valley, and you know he's pitched what I think he's had made three starts. He's two and zero with a three five zero ERA, which is fine. Eighteen innings pitched, so he's last he's lasted about six innings per start. Twenty seven strikeouts, and opponents are only hitting one eighty eight against him. So like now we're starting to see that nastiness again and that hit and, uh, swing and miss stuff from Pavetta. Like, do the Phillies? Do you think that the Phillies are going to look at this thing another start or two in if, if Vince Velasquez can't kind of write the ship here and say, "Well, we were really high on Nick. He has been pretty good since we've sent him down. He's figured it out. We need to make the switch and bring Pavetta back into the rotation for Velasquez." Do you see that happening, or do you see the Phillies? And I know Gabe Kapler said that they were open to this. Do you see the Phillies maybe saying like? we're going to send Nick Pavetta to the bullpen. Because I don't see Nick Pavetta making 10 starts at Lehigh Valley this year. Like, I think that he's coming back to Philadelphia in the next couple weeks, and I think that the only question is, under what role? Yeah, um, I'm glad you pointed it's, it's so funny, because I, I was this was going to be my argument, and you went ahead and just made it. Um, yeah, I, I think Pavetta is back in the rotation. Uh, I think Velasquez gets one more start. I mean, what does he pitch Sunday in Kansas City? If yeah. you can't pitch well against that crap team in Kansas City, that's it, right? I think I think that's yeah. his last his last shot. Um, and the, the, the other thing about and again, it's only three starts. Um, but the other thing about Pavetta's starts down in in uh, uh, Le- or up in Lehigh Valley um, is that they are better than his career minor league numbers. So. Not only did he, has he figured it out, but he's figured it out to the point where he's better than he was when he was originally down there. So it's not like it's just you know a guy going down. Uh, let me let me take time to figure you know figure out how I'm going to pitch down here and work on some things. No, he went in there and and is pitching with a better whip, um, uh, better strikeout or strikeout percentage, um, you know everything better everything. Uh, since he's been down there in those three starts. So I think, yes, you're right. He's going to be back, and I think he's going to replace Vince Velasquez in the rotation. Now, the one thing you didn't say that I think could happen is I don't think that Vince Velasquez is then shipped out to the minor leagues, but I think that we finally, after all these years of talking about it, we'll see Vince Velasquez move to the bullpen. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think – I think considering where the Phillies are at right now in the bullpen with David Robertson, where he's at in his injury recovery, I, you, I would not expect to see him for at least another month. I think that might even be optimistic. I think the same thing goes for Tommy Hunter. I know Victor Arano is a little bit closer. He's actually started throwing a baseball, whereas the other two are just kind of doing like strength strengthening exercises at this yeah. point. Um, I think that there's going to be a need. Uh, I don't think that Vince Velasquez is going to remain in the rotation, and I do think that they 
they respect the arm and they like the arm enough that they want to exhaust every possibility before they part ways with him. And I think that you would be doing yourselves a disservice as an organization if you didn't say, you know, people have said for a while that his arm can play out of the bullpen. I guess now is the time to find out. Right, exactly. I mean, he, look, the guy wants to throw fastballs. I mean, what do you have to lose? You have Edgar Garcia out there right now that came into the season as the team's 28th-ranked prospect. And, I mean, he, he has a, a an average fastball at best. He supposedly has a plus slider, but, you know, it's tough in the major leagues. If you don't have a little bit of a fastball to go with it, it's, it's tough. Yeah. So, I, I mean, mean, to me, there's going to be a fit for Velasquez there to at least audition. Well, if, if, Velasquez, if Velasquez wants to rely so much on his fastball, then let's see how it plays throwing just one inning out of the bullpen. And I'll you can this. ramp it up and throw it as hard as you can and see what happens. Between Pavetta and Velasquez, I think that Velasquez's, I don't know, personality, I don't want to say stuff. Like Stuff is a cop-out, but I just think that like the type of pitcher, the, the way that he attacks um, – Maybe a little bit the mentality. I think it just plays better out of the bullpen. Like I don't see Nick Pavetta as a bullpen guy. Like I don't think he has no. that type of flexibility. I, I think he's like a little bit stiff. I think he's kind of a. Like, I, I want to be careful how I say this. I don't want to use the word like sheltered, but I just think that he's like a regimented guy that that's going to either be successful as a starter or he's not going to be in baseball. Like, Nick Pavetta, to me, isn't going to be the guy that comes out of the pen in the eighth inning and locks it down. I don't see that. Someone I, I was listening to, I, I want to say Sports Talk Radio, someone said, like, well, he's got a big arm. Wade Davis never figured it out, and then they made him a reliever, and, and then he turned into a stud for a, a four- or five-year span. I don't think Nick Pavetta is that. Like, no. I think that it's more likely that Vince Velasquez does that than Nick Pavetta. I think Nick yeah. Pavetta's a starter, and if he's not a starter, he's not in the major leagues. Yeah, I I will say this though, going back to Velasquez, it's frustrating when you hear a teammate say what JT Romuto said. Because it's one thing to hear your manager say, "Oh, you know, you'd like to have that pitch back," or that maybe that wasn't the best pitch to throw in that situation. Blah blah blah. blah. But teammates don't usually, you know, throw each other <laughs> under the bus, so to speak. Then Real Muto comes out after the game and he says, you know, it, it, the way that Velazquez was blowing off the pitches that Real Muto was calling, Real Muto says, it definitely affected the game. It's surprising. I don't really know. For some reason, we couldn't get on the same page tonight. Obviously, it had an effect on the game. It's never good when a pitcher and catcher can't get on the same page. We've already discussed it. We talked about it right after the game, so hopefully we fix it for next time. And, you know, there were it's situations where... Um, Romuto was calling for either a two-seamer or a breaking ball, and he said, I was fine with either one. And Velasquez shook to the four-seamer and gave up a two-run homer. And then the same thing uh, with Matt Carpenter, and then the same thing with Paul DeJong. Would have uh, liked to have had uh, Romuto mic'd up on Monday night during that game. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, then here's Muttering the other quote. under his breath. Here's the other quote from Romuto. I felt like we had – he's talking about DeJong here. Um, I felt like we had him set up pretty good for a breaking ball there. It looked like he was on the fastball the whole at bat. Again, Vinny had confidence in his fastball and he wanted to use it. Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you know, it's a yeah. little frustrating, of course, Romuto said. Vinny has a ton of confidence in his fastball. That's one of the reasons he's so successful. It's a really good pitch. I'm sure he learned tonight that there are certain times where you need to go away from it and use something different. You can't hate him for loving his fastball. He's just got to be a little bit more aware of about when to use it and when not to use it. 
So what do you think? Does JT Real Muto catch Vince Velasquez the next time his turn is off? Well, he's rotation? he's scheduled Sunday after Sunday afternoon yeah. in Kansas City, so it's <laughs> yeah. probably Andrew Knapp, right? Yeah, conveniently we're going to see Andrew Knapp <laughs> on Sunday afternoon in that game. Yeah. So, um, but nevertheless, I mean, everything that he's saying there is damning to Velasquez because it says you think you know better than what everybody else, all the work that we're putting into this, and you don't. Yeah, but if you love your and, yeah. right, but if you love your fastball so much, go to the bullpen and show us how good it is. And if you well, can't he, succeed there, then you don't belong in the majors. The other night, Vince Velasquez, I believe, allowed one base runner in the first inning, and I think it was a walk. And uh, he gets through the inning unscathed. He threw twenty six pitches, and it was a clean inning, so no runs, no hits. My thing is, everyone assumes that a a good arm that's a starter will play out of the bullpen. My thing is this. If you can't put away a hitter in the first inning with a fastball, then does it necessarily translate where you're going to be able to put away a hitter in the eighth inning? Like, I think that there's this presumption amongst people that it's like, well, he'll, he, he's got to throw less, and he's going to be able to throw harder, so he's going to be better. And for certain guys, I do think that's the case. But I wonder, when Vince Velasquez misses spots – and he's not quite able to put away a hitter. And he has this fastball, 95, 96. It can maybe touch 97. And guys still foul pitch off, foul pitch off, foul pitch off. Like, I just don't know that there's this automatic translation to the bullpen. And I know that we've talked about this before. Well, the, I, the one thing I can – the only thing, and I agree with you uh, for the most part. I, I, I think you're right. I think that his fastball is a little too straight. doesn't have a lot of movement on it, okay? But the one thing that I can say is – and you say, well, mate, why if you can't – Get him out in the first inning. What makes you think it's going to work in, in the bullpen? I, I I don't know. You would know maybe better than I do. You know, as as a guy who's coaching you know young guys uh, who have a different mindset today. But do you go into if you're a starting pitcher? Are you going out there in the first inning trying to throw as hard as you possibly can, or are you trying to conserve a little bit because you know you got to go multiple innings? I would tell you most guys would probably conserve a little bit. When I watch Vince Velasquez pitch, I'm not sure that that's the case. Okay. You know? Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think that by and large, most guys would probably hold back a little bit or put a, you know, save a little in the tank. When I watch Vince Velasquez pitch, I kind of feel like he's, he's pitching one inning at a time. Like, every inning that he pitches is the only inning he's going to pitch. It doesn't seem, and I think that this is part of his problem. I don't think that there's much of a plan with him. I, I really think that he, it's just like a, what am I feeling in the moment? You know, and obviously the catcher and and the the coaching staff, they game plan and they know how they want to attack certain guys. But I just don't. Do you ever feel like you watch pitchers set guys up and the way they attack in the first at bat is going to roll into how they want to attack the second at bat? Like, don't you ever just kind of feel like when you watch Vince Velasquez pitch, it's like I'm going to throw the ball hard and I might hit my spot and I might be successful if I'm on today, and if I don't, I'm not going to be successful, and that's all it is. Like. You talk about like some of the pitchers, and it's like an art form. There's a a nuance to it. It's very cerebral. Yeah. When you watch Velasquez pitch, it's just like reach back, no, throw. Yeah, exactly. And, no, you're right. And I think that there's that's part of the reason why there's no pace. I think it's it's hard to watch his starts for that reason. But yes, I mean to your point, a lot of guys are going to hold back a little bit, and certainly the mentality changes if you're coming out in the fifth, sixth inning, seventh inning of a, a baseball game at the major league level. Um, 
it's different than saying like, hey, the night before you've got the ball tomorrow and you've got eight hours to think about it, and this is the spot that you, you know you have to go get five six innings for us. I think for certain guys the change is is going to work well, but I think for certain guys it's not going to make a difference, and that's my concern with him. That I I think it may not make a difference, and I think that he may be a guy that two three four years down the line from now we kind of go, damn, he had all that talent, it just didn't work out, and that's yeah. that's what I'm afraid that we're starting to see. I was hopeful that he was turning a corner but every time this guy seems like he's turning the corner he reverts right back to where he was hey speaking of turning a corner yeah Bryce Harper hit a grand slam against the Cardinals Bryce is back baby (laughs) Bryce Harper hit a grand slam first Phillies grand slam for for Harper um Uh but boy he was struggling before that game and um not that he did a ton today but uh, it was nice to finally see him get off the schneid a little bit. And uh, I know that there were starting to be some rumblings in town, like, oh, my God, you know, what what's going on with Bryce Harper? We paid him all this money. He's here for 13 years and blah, 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 blah. But it was, it was good to see. And, and, and there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack with him right now. But it, it was good to see him hit the home run. But even better, it, you know, you watch these games and you see that he's trying – He's trying to make changes. He's trying to adjust. He's trying to figure things out. Yeah, he lost the arm sleeve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had one at bat. He had one at bat today with no batting gloves. Yeah, even. Um, so like, yeah, there was a there. You know, he, but it's not. It's not just um, you know cosmetic things like that. It's it, it's there are actual changes to his approach at the plate, which we can we'll, we'll you know break down a little bit here. But uh, are you concerned at all, Bob? Because I I'm not, but I also have. You know, you know, I bring up my son Anthony all the time on the show, and you know, he's he's got some data that I'm, I can throw at you that you're going to sit there and be like, oh yeah, that's that's kind of a good point. And so maybe you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I maybe I should be concerned, even though I'm not yet. All right, so let's take today out of the equation. I, I ran some numbers after last night's game. He had a nice game last night. Hits the grand slam. Ball leaves the bat at 102.5 miles per hour. It wasn't even his hardest hit ball of the night. He actually had a single in the fifth inning that left the bat at 107.7 miles per hour. That's good. And I'll tell you why that's good. Because his hard hit percentage has been down this season. uh, Dramatically so from even a year ago. It's one of his lowest numbers throughout his career. So that's a little bit problematic. So to see him make really hard contact last night uh, on multiple occasions, I thought was an encouraging thing. The other thing that I look at is the 18 games before uh, today's game. He had been hitting 182 with a 662 OPS, and he was striking out in almost 30% of his at-bats. That's, that's an issue, right? With that said, after last night's game, he's still 15th in the National League in on-base percentage, 374. He's still on pace for 32 homers. He's still on pace for 116 RBI. And I think that you and I would both agree that he's been completely underwhelming. One thing that I'll say about Bryce Harper is, and, and it's been noted, He's a streaky hitter. He can get very hot for an extended period of time, and he can look really bad for an extended period of time. And in the end, it all kind of shakes out to a certain extent. He has not gotten hot for a prolonged stretch yet over the first six weeks of this season, and I suspect that it will happen. And with that said, the guy's still in the mid-800s in OPS. He's still among the National League leaders in on-base percentage. He's still going to hit 30 home runs. So when I look at Bryce Harper, have I been a little bit underwhelmed with him? Yes. Am I concerned? Not yet. You know what the biggest concern is? 
the reason that there is the reason that there is concern has something to do with one number and one number only. Three hundred and thirty million. I think yeah, that yeah. we all get we all get caught up in the money, and we don't sit there and really look at the player. What was the best Philly season of your lifetime, Bob? Of my lifetime, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, oh eight because they won the World okay, Series. Okay, good, yeah. good, yeah, okay, two thousand eight. I love ninety three. I'm like one of those ninety three okay. narrative suckers. No, I'm, I'm a, I was a ninety three nerd too. I, I believe me, I was my it was my uh, sophomore year in college. It was an awesome year. It was it was a lot of fun. But 2008, I, it, it's hard to argue with that. Um, if I go look at the 2008 Phillies, and I tell you that there was a player on the 2008 Phillies who hit 250, 33 homers, 86 RBI, 367 on base, 875 OPS. Sounds like Bryce Harper type numbers, right? Yeah. If I told you it was Pat Burrell. <laughs> what if I, I told you? It, I actually knew it was Pat Burrell. Yeah. <laughs> what if I told you Pat Burrell's career numbers? Are pretty similar to Bryce Harper. Mm. I mean, overall, pretty similar to Bryce Harper. D- would you think back then that you should be, you know, that <laughs> Pat Burrell should be one of the highest paid players in in no, baseball? No, should sign a thirteen year contract for three hundred thirty million dollars? Yet we wanted Bryce Harper for that money, and and that's fine, and that's fine. But the point is, is that his production is not all that dissimilar to something we have already seen in this town. Now, is the expectation higher because of what he's being paid? Probably. But they were both number one overall picks, both power hitters, both good on base guys who know, knew how to take a walk. Pepper walked 102 times in 2008. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. Right? I mean, he had four seasons where he was right around 100 or broke 100 um, in walks. So, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, it's it's a strange it's a strange thing, but when you really look at when you really look at Harper's numbers, they're pretty similar to what he does for his career. Yeah, the batting average is a little low, um, but he's walking at a higher rate. Um, his OPS is a little low, but it's gonna it's gonna come bounce back a little bit. I mean, he does have these stretches where he goes back and forth. I mean, he's a career two seventy seven. 898 OPS in his career. Right now he's 236, 855. He's a little bit low, but not not ridiculously low. Not so much so low that you should be, you know, yeah. You know, listen, completely if, concerned. If, if they didn't show batting average on the on the graphics before he stepped in the batter's box every game, and you just saw the OPS, and you just saw like on pace for like if that was the graphic that they used and you saw oh he's on pace for 115 RBIs and 30 plus homers and his OPS is in the mid 800s you'd you'd say like okay I'm all right I'm good like I like this isn't great he's not he's not an MVP but like this is these numbers are fine we look at the batting average aspect of it and, and you know what like I I put a little bit more stock in batting average than than maybe some other ana- analytically driven people do I love analytics. I like the deeper numbers, but I do look at average still, and it is a little bit disheartening to see him hitting, you know, two thirty six, two thirty at this point in the season. But I guess I, I just I'm not that concerned about it. the The thing that um, so I was down at the game and working on Saturday night and covered the game, and the Phillies fell behind. They came back. Uh, they they had a big, I think it was the seventh inning, I want to say. They had like a five-run seventh inning, took an 8-5 lead, and then the bullpen blew the game. 
And the only reason why I bring that up is because I wanted to actually ask uh, Kapler after the game about Bryce Harper's pull percentage and where he's hitting the ball and how frequently he's hitting the ball to the right side. And just to kind of, you know, put this into perspective, and I'm just pulling this up here. Last year, he pulled the ball in 42.3% of his at-bats. And the year before that, it was only 35.5%. This year, he's pulling the ball 53.7% of the time, which is more than 11% uh, up from last season. His center field or middle contact is down 6%, and his opposite field contact also down as well. Okay? My question is, or the question that I, w- I wanted to ask is, to what extent is Bryce's, I guess, the escalation in his pool percentage related to what he's trying to do at the plate? Is that a product of how he's being pitched? Or is this him, is this him being in Citizens Bank Park saying, like, I have a short porch, I can use the right field dimensions to my, uh, you know, to my benefit, and that's why he's pulling the baseball more? Or is it he's pressing and so he's out ahead of everything naturally because he's trying to do too much at the plate like there are a variety of reasons why guys are pool guys why they're opposite field guys sometimes it's it's intentional sometimes I think that there are external factors that play into it and I'm curious to know why he is pulling the baseball so much more this season and it may be a product of how he's being pitched but I don't think it's good like when you jump that much in your your field distribution in terms of where you're hitting the ball, I think that that means something's askew. And I would like to know what what that thing is. And when I get down there next week and they come back, that's a question I plan to ask, especially if we don't see a change in these numbers the other way. No, that's a great it's a great question. I think part I think it's probably a combination of all those things. I mean, you know, you see how teams shift him, right? Well, the team's not going to shift him and then pitch him away. Right. So, so they're gonna they're certainly gonna pitch him, in, you know, to try and hit him, have him hit into the shift. Um, so part of it is the way they're pitching him, but I think that I think it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, and and I, you know, I think the thing that you, you mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation about him that is kind of crucial to the conversation is, you know, his hard hit ball rate is down. And I know people, and look, I, I'm not a big, I'm not big on all advanced statistics in baseball. Why the heck does it matter how hard you hit the ball? Well, you know, one of the big stats that's come out now is batting average on balls in play, right? BABIP. You're a BABIP guy, right? Yeah, sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's career 317 BABIP. That's pretty darn good. It, overall, I mean, not a lot of guys ha- are able to sustain. A batting average over 300 um, on on balls that they put in play. I mean, that's that's pretty solid, right? Mm-hmm. 317. He's at 307 right now, so he's down, and he's down because he's not even when he's making contact, he's not making great contact. Um, and this is something that has been this has been you know kind of happening over the last. It happened last year too. He was actually 289 last year. One of his that was one of his worst seasons. Um, so with that, so you wonder why the average is coming down a little bit, and, and it could be that. You know, so, so obviously strike him out more too, but but it's that too. This is something I actually wanted to talk about, and it's not Philly sp- specific, but 
So, like, guys like you and I that, that are talking about baseball, we use fan graphs a lot. I'm sure you use baseball reference. Yep. Um, one of the things that I see down at the stadium all the time now is people use uh, Baseball Savant, which is a, an offset of MLB StatCast, basically. Yep. And I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day, but Fangraph's data and the MLB Savant or Baseball Savant data is often completely different. And so, like, right now I'm looking at Fangraph's, which is what I assume you were just referencing, correct? Uh, I actually pulled it off a of baseball reference. Okay. So, like, the hard hit percentage is down. It's interesting, though, if, like, you look at the StatCast data of Bryce, Bryce Harper right now, his average exit velocity in 2018 was 90.6 miles an hour. This year it's 91.4, so it's actually almost up a mile per hour. He's barreling more balls this year. 11.5% um, was the barrel percentage, meaning squaring the ball up. This year it's 13.4, uh, so that's a jump. Like, it's, it's interesting, and the hard hit percentage, which is actually a, a statistic or a metric that uh, Baseball Savant uses, he was 45.1% last year. This year he's at 46.3%. So it's, it's weird because you're like, well, how could these different sites that are all using, you know, game-specific data, how are they producing these different numbers? <clears throat> so I always like to try to look at all of the different offsets before all the, uh, all the different uh, sites and all the different sources of information before I, I kind of, like, gauge it. I tend to like fan graphs, and I tend to like baseball reference, and, and certainly we're talking about the official data of Major League Baseball when we talk about the Savant statistics, but... They're, they're different than fan graphs, and I struggle with this because I'm like, well, how much stock should I put in one source over another, and when should I be paying attention to it, and when should I not be? That's a good question. <laughs> that's a really good question. Right? Um, like, and, and, and that's not, well, like, that, that's not like a gotcha like, because I, I go to fan graphs all the time. Like, that's my, my primary source, but I've been comparing a lot of the fan graphs data against the baseball savant data lately, and it doesn't always match up. And then I kind of go, well, what the hell? I think I'm, I'm proving a hypothesis, but now it doesn't go with the actual Major League Baseball's game-specific data, and, and I struggle with that. Yeah, that's a good – That's I don't know. That's a great question, Bob. Um, but they don't break it up. Uh, like, the savant statistics aren't quite as in-depth. Like, they're a little bit more general. Whereas, like, Fangraphs tiers their data a little bit more. So yeah. that's uh, something that, that I kind of – plan to look at and I'm just being honest with the listeners right like I don't want to I don't want to say like oh definitively like I, I looked at fan graphs so I know for sure because I've seen this a lot this year like the more that I've looked at it the more I see these discrepancies and I'm, I'm really trying to work through like when do I buy into one source over the other yeah so yeah but then it's funny like in this in the midst of you talking about this I actually you know hopped on to baseball savant and pulled up Harper um, he's actually one of their trending players right now um, it doesn't, which doesn't surprise, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing the same thing that you're seeing. Actually, I saw his, see his bad bit even lower than what I suggested yeah. from what was on baseball reference. They have him at three Oh three, which is even a little bit lower. Um, but then you, you see also see some other things and you see that his, uh, uh, strikeout rate is the highest it's ever been. Mm -hmm. He's at, tw he's striking out 29.6% of the time. Yep. That's a lot. <laughs> you're striking out 30 percent of the 30 percent of the time that's a lot and that's it's actually come down because it was closer to 40 i think the last couple games probably helped bring that number down a little bit um 
Yeah. I, yeah, well, and like if you look at that, and we'll just we'll just say this real quick with the Statcast stuff. Um, his expected batting average is only four points lower than it was a year ago, so the batting average really shouldn't be that much different. Uh, his expected slugging percentage is down from five eleven a year ago though to four sixty eight this year. That's yeah. problematic. That's a pro. I mean, that's an issue uh, based on that data. Um, yeah. Well, he's also he's also is he's you know not homering as as often. I mean, that's that's the other thing. Although the grand slam kind of helped, right? Yeah. Um, he's he's behind his uh, he's slight. I mean, it's it's slightly, but he's slightly behind his uh, um, career career number. So, I mean, for the general fan, I, I would say this though: I, I, Am I concerned? And I mean, that's the overall question. No, I'm not concerned at this point. I think he's going to heat up. I think that the numbers are going to kind of play out similar to what we've seen in recent years with him. And I don't think that we should really expect much different. Now, I know that there was a time during this courtship phase back in December, January, we said, uh, you know what? Put Bryce Harper in Citizens Bank Park. He's going to hit 45, just like they said with JT Romuto. Like, while he was down there playing in that like Yellowstone Park down in Miami, now you're putting him in Citizens Bank Park. He could hit 25, 30 home runs here. Well, how many home runs does, does JT Romuto have right now? Like four? Yeah. So, like, I think sometimes, like, we overcompensate with the park factors and we let our minds get carried away a little bit. I do well, wonder, though, with Harper specifically, to what extent Citizens Bank Park, its dimensions and its, uh, I would say, overall advantageous dimensions play in his approach at the plate. Because I do think that there's an adjustment period there. And I do think it could conceivably take 40 to 50 games for him to say, like, okay, I know what works now with my swing. I know what doesn't work. I know that I've been overcompensating here. These are the adjustments I have to make. I don't think that it's ridiculous to make that hypothesis. Yeah, no, you're, I think that you're, I think you're spot on. Um, uh, you know, one, one of the things that you said, you know, when you were, when you, you know, that you want to ask Gabe about is it, you know, is he trying too hard? Is he getting out in front of the pitch and, and pulling it so much because he's trying to put the ball out of the yard because um, he thinks he can get more home runs at Citizens Bank Park? So it could become the park factor could be as much mental for the player as it could be of real value in you know analyzing why a player is doing you know I don't think that he so, would be the way. first player that saw a negative impact from advantageous park factors you know like you right, go yeah. to a place where you're expected to or you're hitting in a park where you're expected to be able to produce more because of its friendly dimensions and you press and uh, I do wonder, not so much the contract. Like, I don't think Bryce Harper steps into the batter's box and says, like, okay, $330 million. Like, I really don't think it's that. But I do think that there may be this need to impress, need to get off to a big start, trying to do a little bit too much where maybe he shortens up and laces a base hit the left center. That's him trying to, you know, hit one off the scoreboard out in right field. You know, like that's – that's all I'm saying when it comes to like the actual mental component of it. Um, I will tell you what, though. If Bryce Harper's struggling, there is one guy in the Phillies lineup right now who is not. And I'm not talking about Reese Hoskins. I am talking about Anthony. Who am I talking about? Cesar Hernandez. Cesar. Cesar. It's, it's amazing. Ever since we ripped him last week. <laughs> He's been yeah. on fire. Yeah, the defense uh, really was my biggest issue or biggest beef with him a week ago. And I had pointed out that he had essentially raised his average from the mid-100s when, when everyone else was off to a pretty good offensive start and he was the one guy not doing it. He had raised the average from like 150 to 270, 275. And you go, that's pretty damn good. You know, he got that average up pretty quickly. Well, now you look at it after a 3-for-5 performance today, which, by the way, was out of the leadoff spot. 
He's hitting 305, and his OPS is now over 820. I got to say, man, like if you would have asked me three weeks ago on May 8th, would Cesar Hernandez be up over 300 with this type of start that he had? I would have said there's no way in hell. And all of a sudden, he's one of the best hitting second baseman in all of baseball. You know, how do you figure that? He's had 11 hits since we ripped him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's in seven games. 11 Curry hits in seven Scott games. Kingery, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, I, we talk about like Gene Segura. He's a hit machine. He's going to hit 320, 325. Gene Segura is hitting 306. Cesar Hernandez is hitting 305. He's one point ahead of him right now. Yeah. Uh, Cesar Hernandez also has a higher on-base percentage, and he is uh, five points lower in slugging percentage, but he overall has a higher OPS as well. No, I mean, he's, it's, it's unbelievable. He's playing really, really well. I mean, and, you know, he's and only he hasn't had done him. anything stupid defensively in like the last three days either. So that's yeah. a win. Yeah. No, he's, he's, hit, he's hitting. And that's good. That's a good sign. Um, and, and look, these are, there's going to be ebbs and flows like this all season for random guys because as well as Hernandez is hitting, all of a sudden Michael Franco has kind of gotten into a little bit of a funk. Yeah, down to 240. Yeah. yeah. So. So, you, you know, you look at Franco, and we're like, well, what's going on there? You, you know what's um, happening with Michael Franco, though? Every one of his hits, like, he's maximizing the damage on all of his hits. Like, mm-hmm. when he gets a hit, it's into a gap. It's scoring a run. It's a home run with men on base. I mean, he's made the most of a 240 average that you possibly can make at this point in the season. True. True. You know, um, and that's how you explain that he has, what, 27 RBI on May 8th after, you know, hitting 240. Yeah, no, absolutely, and 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 uh, look, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, once Kingery comes back because if if the, well, I don't know. When these guys keep rolling. I mean, you know, even O'Double had a nice game again today. Had an RBI double. Um, you know, McCutcheon's been good um, when you, he's in the lineup. And, did you uh, read the the post that I had after the game last night? I won't be offended if you didn't. I did. Did you catch the uh, title at the uh, end of the post? Uh, <laughs> the local IBEW 90 oh, yes. hard had lunch <laughs> yeah. pail play of the game? Yes. <laughs> <sighs> you know, the thing is, like, he does dog it sometimes, and he does do stupid stuff, but I've just now gone contrarian with this, like, and yeah. I will be there for every time that he does something good. I'll be yeah, the guy that points this out. Yeah. Top of the second last night, leadoff, squibber out in the center field. He busts it around first, dives head first into second for a double. That's a Dubo Herrera, baby. That's Philly. That's hard hat, grit, bunch pail type stuff. Yeah. Now he's been uh he's been okay. I yeah, mean I, I haven't right. yeah, he's been I, fine. yeah. I'm, I'm a little a disappointed. Before the season, I said that I thought he was going to be an all-star this year. I mean, he's not that. You know, he's hitting two two fifty. Like, I'm a little underwhelmed by him. Obviously, he was hurt, missed almost two weeks, but. I expect a little bit more out of Odubel Herrera. I'm hoping that he catches one of his hot streaks soon and those numbers start to kind of get evened out a little bit. Yeah, I, and I think he will. I, I think that he's the kind of guy who will, especially um, you know where he's at in the lineup. I mean, it's he doesn't have to, uh, you know, he doesn't have to. Pr- he doesn't talk about not having to press. I mean, he really doesn't have to press batting six no. or seven in the lineup. I mean, it's just you know he's fine. He's totally fine. One thing that I, I mentioned this to you because I was talking about potentially doing a post, and then I didn't end up doing the post. But maybe can still do something. We'll see. Um, one thing that bothers me, and I hate, you know, we already get blamed for being negative as it is. But Yeah, listen, I think we've been... I think we've been pretty positive here tonight, you know. Well, like, except we we railed on Velasquez for a while, but that's okay. We we got I mean, our, that's we got warranted, you know. Like I, yeah, we got it out of our I'm system. Not, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but one thing that bothers me a little bit is that far too often, and not just this year, I saw it a lot last year too, but far too often the Phillies are relying on Andrew Knapp to come up in the late innings mm-hmm. as a pinch hitter because he's their last available pinch hitter to, to get a, a key hit or try and get a key hit. And that's a concern to me. And, and I don't necessarily think, Bob, that it's because they're, oh, their bench is so bad that that's what you have is you're relying on Andrew Knapp. They, they could use an improvement on the bench for sure, but I think it's because they don't have enough on the bench. And I mean that in a numbers fashion, not necessarily in a talent fashion. Um, it's, it's really tough when your pitchers are only throwing five innings and you're often pinch hitting for the pitcher an inning earlier than you'd like, and then you have to do it again, and then you know maybe use a, a defensive replacement or a pinch runner or something somewhere else, that, that you're now in the eighth, ninth inning, and your only choice is Andrew Knapp. I, I really wish the Phillies would sit there and say, you know what, let's just let's just have this experiment. Let's go with a fifth bat on the bench so that we have another person to hit in a key spot late in the game and just forget about the eighth reliever for the time being. I mean, hell, they could shuttle people back and forth to AAA. It doesn't really matter. I mean, how many games do you really roll through eight relievers? Right? You're right. just not. So so what's the what's the difference? Instead of going with 13 pitchers, go with just 12, just for you know a little while, and see, and see if it makes a difference, because I think it would. You know, I look at a guy, you look at what Sean Rodriguez has done as a, as a reserve player. He's done a nice job. Phil Gosselin's hitting 300, coming off the base, four for eight as a pinch hitter this year. Um, you know, you'd like to have these guys. Nick Williams is Nick Williams when he's, when he's you know, coming off the bench. You'd like to have one of these guys come up in that spot rather than Andrew Knapp. Yeah, and I, I told <laughs> got to come. Poor Andrew Knapp. Uh, <laughs> I was like starting to talk, and I was like, "Damn, that sounded pretty harsh." Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you in a second. I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, my concern, I think, with with the shortened bench is that if you had another reliever out there, you said, "Well, this guy's a real difference maker out there," and so he's so good that the value of that extra reliever. Or they had so many good relievers that you just said, "This is this is a built in advantage, right?" Like we have him out here, so we're good. But like if if that last reliever is going to be Edgar Garcia, then like, is that really is Edgar Garcia or some other middling reliever worth? having on the roster than that extra bat. Like, that's what you have to really kind of weigh it out as. Like, I'm not philosophically opposed to having the, you know, being a bat short, but you better have some damn good talent out there in the bullpen where you well, say, like, this provides us a significant advantage. So here I'm going to make the argument against, my, against me right now. Here's the argument that, that should be given against me when I ask for the extra bat. The argument is... You know what? We're basically what we're doing here is we're managing the innings that our bullpen pitchers are throwing during the course of a season, and we have the ability to shuttle guys back and forth for that last spot, um, so that we can maximize their usage. You know, throw Drew Anderson for two, three innings, and then send him down and call up Inyel De Los Santos, and he throws two, three innings, and then send him down and call up Edgar Garcia, and so you just keep doing that with that last spot, and they see more value in that than having a, a, an extra potential pinch hitter. And I will sit there and say to you, again, 
and this is this is like my ongoing crusade against modern baseball. But I will say to you that there is more value in having that hitter in a crucial spot, which you don't yeah. know is going to, if it's come, if you don't know if it's going to come up in a game or not. But it's if it does come up, there's more value in having that and say, you know what, if we have to throw a couple of relievers, five, six, seven extra innings over the course of the season, I'd rather have the pinch hitter 12 to 15 times that I need him. I think that could swing a game far more than the eighth reliever in your pen throwing useless innings in an 11-1 to one game. That can. I think that that's fair. Um, I, I had asked or I had paused a moment ago and said there was something I wanted to ask you. Um, yeah. So you've covered the Flyers for a long time and you've been around that organization and you're pretty well connected. Yeah. You ever cover a player that you liked like on a human level, you just thought like this guy seems like a, a pretty good dude and Many. you just felt like, but man, like it's not there. Yeah. 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 Many. Absolutely. Yeah. Many. Yeah. I knew where you were going with this. I mean, I could have said that about I mean, hockey players are so many good guys in hockey. I could say that about guys who are actually really good players and guys who just yeah weren't very good players. Like defensively, Andrew Knapp has made strides this year. And I think that one of the reasons he's made strides is because he's not overexposed. Like, I think that one of the problems with Knapp last year was that the Phillies asked way too much of him because they couldn't fully go in on Jorge Alfaro, right? Like, there was a balance that they had to maintain. And I think that the more and more you played each of those guys, the more and more the flaws be kind of came obvious. I think that, like, Andrew Knapp can be a major league backup catcher. And I'm not, like, this isn't, like, a jab at him or trying to say that he shouldn't be on the team or anything like that. But, like, if we're going to use him in terms of if we're going to discuss him in terms of being a bench piece or a bat off the bench, like that's that's a tough bat to bring off the bench. If we're just being real about this, like Andrew Knapp doesn't hit, so like he's a guy like I, I like. I think he's like, super insightful. I think that he's articulate and he he can do some things and there's some value there. But like I just don't like when he comes up, you kind of just go Jesus. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you have those players all the time, and I'm sure there's a ton of them in baseball. I mean, you know, look, it, it's hard to get to the major leagues, so it's not like we sit here and say Andrew Knapp stinks, but he stinks for a major leaguer. But he's a he's still a, he's still a major that's leaguer. One of the things like I'm around right? the, I'm around the game, like I I coach the game, but I think even when you coach at a youth level or high school level, you always sort of you create this barrier between like your realm and what you know and then the professional realm. Yeah. But then when you start to cross over and you actually get around these guys a little bit and you start to see what goes into it and, and they become people. They're not just guys on, that show up on your TV for three hours every night and they either do what they're supposed to do or they don't. You start to see more of the context and more of the background behind it and it makes you a little less judgmental. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'll go on Twitter, and I'll use the Sixers as an example. I mean, Jesus. I, I watched the city just eat itself today on Twitter after Game 5 of the Sixers Raptors series. And don't get me wrong, it was a hideous game and a reprehensible performance. But just, like, trade this guy. Get rid of him. He sucks. Screw him. Like, And you just go, whoa. You know, and it's easy to do that when you're a fan. And I've been guilty as anybody of doing that at points in my life. 
But just kind of like the more you get around it and the more you see that like this is a business and what goes into it, it does kind of give you like a little bit more perspective and a little bit more pause. Like I feel like I've been much more rational and 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 much more uh, I've been much slower to kind of jump to conclusions. The more and more I've gotten around this now in recent weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's that's what happens when you get you know when you get down there and you get to talk to these guys and you get to get an understanding of you know what they are about and what they do i mean you know there's always and there's going to be bad guy you're going to find bob in your time you're going to find some bad dudes too yeah. like you're just gonna sit there and be like what a jerk like yeah. even if even super talented guys you're gonna sit there and go what a jerk yeah. right right and that could happen so um so yeah you find yourself <laughs> almost rooting for them to succeed uh, because you know that they're good people and you, and you want to see them you know i, do I know well. this is going to surprise you and i think it's it, I think it's going to piss off some of our listeners. But you know who I really like? Like I just genuinely like the guy, if I'm if I'm being honest. Yeah. Kapler. Oh boy. Like I really like him. I find yeah. him to be a I don't know. Just find him to be like a, a very interesting guy. I, I find him to be very well spoken. I actually think he's a pretty genuine guy. Like I don't think he's up there spewing bullshit, even when he uses like the big words and stuff. And you kind of hear some of the quotes, and you read them, and you hear them on TV, and you go, "Oh God!" Like I actually think this is what I, I. This goes back to what we talked about last year. Like you can say things, and you can say them just to say them. And you may not love everything that a guy says, but the thing that I wasn't sure about with Gabe Kapler, and I, I don't definitively know this yet, but I believe that he believes the things that he's saying. Like I think that there's genuine conviction and a true belief in the things that he says when he's explaining things. Like that's what I've sort of gotten from him. And then you can tell me that and because you, you know better than I do. And I think that this is an interesting conversation for the listener. Like you've probably been around coaches that it seems like that's the case and in reality it's not. And maybe it's much easier to sell people on that in person than I would think it is. But I would like to think that I know human beings and I know when people are being genuine and when they're not um, in my profession and what I've been around. I get the sense that he he is a genuine person. That would be the one thing I wasn't sure about last season, and that is sort of what I've gathered. This well, year. I don't I don't think he's fake by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm and I'm not around him. Um, but even though I disagree with a lot of what he says, I, I I do agree with you. I do think that there is conviction there that like he is he believes what he's saying. That doesn't mean that I think that he's right. Uh, sure, yes, <laughs> but, and, and, but, that's, and that's fair. Uh, but I do think I don't. I don't think he's just throwing something at you just to throw it at you. You know, I, I do think that there was a time though last year where we wondered that, especially well, in the I, early going. I mean, it, it was almost there was, like, did you read this in a book and now you're repeating it, or do you really philosophically and in, like inherently believe this? So I do think there were times last year, and I think that there's a, there has been a change. There's no doubt there's been a change in the way Kapler's been approaching absolutely the media, right? But there was so there were times last year where he would say stuff, and you're just like, dude, <laughs> come on, you can't defend that. You can't sit there and say something positive. Like every game, they were in the middle of that ridiculous losing streak in you know in August and September, and every game he was coming out and starting his press conference with positives, and it's like you can't do this, man, right? So there were times when you're like, all right, that's not that's not genuine, but that doesn't mean that he's genuinely not a genuine person. Yeah. It's, right? it's funny you say that though. After the uh, game Saturday night where the bullpen blew the lead late, a uh, game we were talking about earlier, his press conference, he goes, you know, our bullpen has been really good this year. And I think 
coming into that night, they were sixth in the NL in ERA. So they had been pretty good overall, and they would certainly been better lately. He goes, but we were not very good tonight. And you go, you know, he wouldn't have said that last year. Correct. Like, that wasn't the sentence that would have come out of his mouth. So I think that uh, this, this year is the only year that I've been around him directly or have gotten to look him in the eye and, and hear him talk and, and see what he's had to say. But last year, you would, it was infuriating listening to some of his explanations. This year, he certainly has made the changes that you spoke about. And I think that for the most part, he's, he's telling the truth when he speaks. Yeah. So. Yeah. I it's agree. A, that that part of it is interesting. Uh, really, the the locker room dynamic of things has uh, definitely opened up my eyes a little bit and, and tweaked my perspective maybe on what I'm watching a little bit. It usually does. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it usually does. Let me uh, ask you this real quick, just a little quick whip around of the NL East. Uh, you love the Washington Nationals. You've been professing your love for them now for the last month or so. Are you at all concerned? I I'm just I'm just busting your balls. <laughs> I know you, <laughs> I, you. You do like the Nationals more than me, though. Uh, but the Nationals are 14 and 22 now. They uh, have a negative 23 run differential. They uh, are two and eight now in their last 10 games. They've been extremely injured, banged up, um, tons of injury issues. They're seven games behind the Phillies, and like we don't need to do a standings rundown here, but. Are you concerned at this point about the Nationals' ability? I just want to focus specifically on the Nationals. Are you concerned about the Nationals' ability to compete in this division now down seven games? Look, it could be one of those years, man. Like It, it happens to good teams sometimes when they're, they just have a lot of things go wrong, a lot of things kind of you know go against them that are unexpected. Um, you know, and these injuries could be, could be part of that. I mean, no Rendon, no Soto. Um, Matt Adams got hurt. I mean, I, they have a bunch of injuries. Their bullpen, you know, I, I blame I blame their management. And for years now, they can't get the bullpen right. Um, uh, although Bearclaw and uh, Doolittle have been decent. But other than that, that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it just happens. And you can't, and you can't ever rebound from it. That said, it is only second week of May. So, you know, if they get healthy and... You know, Scherzer's what one and five so far this year. One, whatever his record is, something ridiculously bad. Um, you know, he gets he gets going again in Strasburg and, and Corbin. I mean, they still have the pitching to to kind of turn it around. Um, God, he is the, one and four. I di- I didn't realize yeah. that until no, just now. Yeah, I knew yeah, the ERA not, was like in the threes or whatever, but man, yeah, he's he, they're struggling. I think they I think they've lost six of the seven starts that he's had. If I'm if I'm not it's mistaken, amazing. yeah, um, but. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I can they still turn it around? Yeah, they can. I think there's enough talent there, but it could just be one of those years, man, where they just don't they don't figure it out until too late, and it, or or not at all. Yeah, and to and illustrate they just have to your suck it up for a bad year. To illustrate your point, I mean, things do happen quickly. Over the last ten games, the Phillies have gained five on them. So like, could they simply just flip that and, and gain the five back? Sure. The thing that. I just kind of stand back and look at it, though. I say, all right, we're approaching the quarter pull of the season. All of these teams are pretty, I would say, tightly in line with one another for the most part. I don't think that there's huge discrepancies in talent or ability in any of these clubs. And I start to say, man, like seven games, like that's a that's a real margin. Like that's seven it games is. is not two games. It's not three games. It's not a series back. And I, I look at it from this standpoint. I go, okay. 
Like, are the are the Nationals seriously better? Eight games better than the Phillies over three quarters of a season, and it's it's hard to bring yourself to the point where you say yes. You yeah, know? but I, I will. I, I, if you want, I'll put it into this perspective for you. Use you say seven games. No, 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 no. I can, I, can, yeah. I can certainly do that. But no, if if you want to say seven games is a big gap, I say if I said to you, Bob, not even knowing what, knowing what the standings are for any division or any teams that are involved, and if I said to you, um, you know, you have five months of a season left to go, and I tell you you have to make up two games in each month you yeah. think that that's doable yeah absolutely yeah. right <laughs> right so. no, I, and i know it's it's just i, I think that where it kind of comes into play then is okay so now you're also going to have to leapfrog the mets and the and the braves and well i i think the braves are the team that yeah. you worry about yeah we the most. said that last week yeah. as well yeah and, th- and they're they're they've lost two straight um but they're they're playing 500 baseball right now and they're three games back of the phillies I was encouraged, and I know we didn't really talk about this series as a whole, but especially when you consider that they lost the game the way they did on Monday night to bounce back with two wins in St. Louis on the road, a place that they've had a little bit of trouble playing in in recent years especially because, you know, the Phillies have been wretched and St. Louis is a good team and it's just a tough place to play. I was very impressed the Phillies were able to go out there and win that series. Now I just want to see them not undo that positive momentum with a down series in Kansas City. But well, I don't the, know how you can have a down series in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, though, on this little six-game trip, they have a chance to win four or five games, and that would be very, very uh, yeah, encouraging because moving forward. Get, this is what we were saying last week. It, it, gets, it gets tough up. next week. Yep. Yeah, yep. it starts to get tough next week. Hey, uh, for one last thing today, I, I just want to um, tell a quick story. Um, you know, the obviously the news came out today that uh, – uh, the Phillies lost uh, their chairman, uh, David Montgomery. Um, he died today at the age of 72 um, uh, after a five-year battle with cancer, jaw cancer. And uh, anybody you listen to that, that talks about David Montgomery will always say, you know, just how wonderful of a man he was, uh, just how great of a person, uh, how much he cared about anyone and everyone that he talked to. That's what blew me away today. It was yeah. everybody, everybody. Had the same thing to say. Yeah, well, I'm going to say it too. So, because here's here's my, I you know, I didn't, I've not really covered the Phillies I, you know, here and there, kind of a fill in kind of thing, but not really uh, with any kind of regularity. Um, and a few years back, um, I think it was, I think it was 09. I want to say, um, might have been 2010. Um, I was down in Florida um, for uh, a Flyers series in March. Um, they were doing the two the two cities in, in Florida, Tampa and, and um, Fort Lauderdale for the for the Panthers. And um, the editor at the, at the Daily Times at the time said to me, hey, can you do me a favor? Um, I'm going to give our Phillies writer, uh, you know, a couple days off. Can you go and, you know, in, on the two days off between the, the Flyers games, can you hit a couple Phillies games and do some Philly stories to so give them a couple days off. So I said, sure, no problem. And one of the games was in uh, Jupiter, Florida, uh, which was the Astros uh, training facility. And when I got there, I got there really early um, because I had come straight from the airport and just ended up getting there real, real early. It was long before the game was about to begin. I had my bags and everything with me. I didn't even check into the hotel. I went straight to the, to the ballpark and with nothing else to do. There was, you know, none of the other, other writers were really there yet. I just kind of went into the media dining room at uh, their ballpark there and sat down. They had, they were serving some breakfast and, you know, just sitting there and, you know, I had my computer open, whatever. And David Montgomery came in 
and you know doesn't know me from Adam, and he sits across from me, introduces himself to me, um, and we just start talking, and we talked for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes maybe, just kind of, you know, not really about baseball, more so just about, you know, Philadelphia and you know, where we were from, where I was from, and blah, blah, blah. So time goes by, whatever, later that same season, I want to say it's July at this point, uh, I was asked to go do a game down at Citizens Bank Park. And I go down, and I'm walking through the stadium. And this is not this is long before the game's supposed to start. I'm like walking towards the press elevator down at Citizens Bank Park, and there's David Montgomery. And I, I don't even think to say hello. I'm just kind of like, okay, it's David Montgomery. And as I go walking by, he calls me, calls out my name, Anthony. How you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like the only conversation we've ever had was in Jupiter, Florida, in March. And the guy remembered my name and said hello and took a minute to just, you know, ask how I was doing. And that just goes to tell you, here I am as an, it, just an inconsequential person in the grand scheme of things. And how many people he probably knows and meets on a regular basis. And he has the ability to remember who I was uh, all those months later after just a 15-minute conversation. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. It speaks, I think that speaks volumes to the kind of person that he probably yeah. was with the people he cared about the most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you saw like during the game today that I think Chase Utley had called in at one point and just the, all the former players, people that worked with and against him uh, in baseball and uh, you know just a, a tough day for that organization. You could tell that uh, there were a lot of people and obviously they were preparing for it. They knew that he was sick and you could tell there were just a lot of really hurt people in that organization today and uh, you know. Uh, it's, it's sad a sad thing to see happen, but obviously he was um, just a, a tremendous guy by all accounts, including yep, your own. left the legacy. I, I, yep. I expect you'll see a patch on the jerseys uh, yeah, when they come home. Yeah, I believe I read today, I think it was Matt Breen of the Inquirer, had said that when they come back on Monday, there will be a patch that they yep. will wear. Yep. I'm pretty sure there will be one. So. Yep. Um, anyway, Bob, guess what? <laughs> it's, it's before midnight? It is, but that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> We got another five-star review. There you go. All right. <laughs> this Russ thing is really kind of taken off. It's good. One a I week. Think the guy, one a week. I, I think he's. I think he's onto something. Um, so let me just read this five-star review, and I'll just suggest to other listeners when you hear the podcast and you get to this point in the podcast, and you hear me say, "Hey, when you go get a chance, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review." And if you do. We will read it on the show, and we'll give you. We'll say your name and everything else. So we got one uh, from Bryn Swartz. Oh uh, yeah, he's a he's a guy on Twitter. He's he's like around. He's like a Philly sports guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a guy. Yeah, he's got good takes. Yeah, he's like it is okay. Well, I saw Bryn. I thought Bryn could Bryn could be a female. He's like a, too, got but. like a little bit of a presence on Twitter too. Okay, yeah. Bryn Swartz. Yeah, cool. Uh, great Phillies five cast podcast five stars. A fantastic podcast that is probably unintentionally a lot more negative than they mean to be, but incredibly informative for everything Phillies related. <laughs> huh, there you go. Yeah, very thanks. nice. Yeah, he's got thanks, Bryn. That's what I said. He's got uh, like seventy five hundred followers. My man, Bryn. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, good stuff, Bryn Swartz. So yeah, if you want to leave us a five star review, we'll read it out on the show uh, when we get when uh, when we record each week. So very very um, good. That reminds me of the other Crossing Broad Podcasting Network shows that I got to mention. Um, be sure to check out Crossing Broadcast. There's a lot of Sixers talk right now. Boy, are the, uh, boy, are the people at our at our place really fired up and angry about the Sixers right now? I'm sure. Insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
<laughs> I'm rooting against the Sixers just so I don't have to read this shit anymore. No. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. What do you Bob. got? To, what do you got tomorrow night or tonight? If you're listen, if if you're a listener that's uh, here, Sixers. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. Like, with the way the game five went, I I kind of want to say that they're going to come back and and have a really good game at home and win it and force a game seven. Uh-huh. But I I will say this. I, beginning of the series, Russ asked us to make picks on the website. I picked. I picked Toronto in six. How how do I change my pick at this point? Like I'm I'm pretty spot on so far, so I can't really go against it. I, I I'm going to stick with the Raptors. Although I do think that the Sixers have a shot to give them a good game at home. Okay. Well, even if they do, if the Sixers do win, there's no way they win Game Seven. So yeah. I think it it either ends it either ends Thursday or it goes to what Saturday is yeah, Game Seven. Prolong the misery. And then that'll be it. Yep. So, but uh, I'm sure Kevin Kincaid and Russ Joy will be uh, talking a lot about the Sixers on the Crossing broadcast. Um, we've also got uh, a couple of soccer podcasts going right now. Um, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with uh, Kevin Kincaid and uh, whoever he decides to bring on to talk about the Philadelphia Union, who are uh, yeah, in season at this point. Uh, and then Russ and Phil Kydell do Crossing Broad FC, um, talking about uh, the European Soccer League. And you know, Russ will be happy to know that I caught up on the crazy uh, Liverpool story. Did you see what they did? I did not. <laughs> so Liverpool. Not that I want to dive into soccer, and I don't follow soccer a little bit, but I just you know, when, whenever it's a big story and it flashes on my phone, I got to read about it. Uh, they do this stupid thing in soccer. This is one of the reasons I hate soccer, Bob, but they do this stupid thing when they get into the playoffs. Rather than play a three-game series or a series of a, an odd number, they will play a team two times. Okay. Uh, they do like the composite score thing. The composite uh, score yeah, of the, the two worst. games. Ag- they call it aggregate. It's aggregate score. Stupid. It, it, it's as dumb as I can ever. You, you can win one game and lose one game. And you lose the series because you gave up more goals in the two games. Just play a third game, for God's sake. I mean, how hard is this? Right? But anyway, so they do this thing. And so they were playing Barcelona in the um, one of the big you know, soccer tournaments. And... Barcelona won the first game by three goals. And so like they were like, huh, there's no way you're going to beat Barcelona by four goals. And then Liverpool comes out and wins 4 nothing in the second game and, and advances to the to the final or whatever, to the semifinal or the final. It's like some amazing story. It's all over the internet. Unbelievable what Liverpool did. So there you go, Russ. I, I paid attention there and I saw go. that Liverpool did that. Aunt, so, right? so, Aunt Sam Philly, big soccer guy. Big soccer guy. So you uh-huh. can see that. Uh, and Russ and I are going to be getting back together um, this weekend to do the latest edition of uh, Snow the Goalie as we talk about the new assistant coaches uh, on the Flyers and how the signing of these guys as assistant coaches may be indicative of what this team is going to look like uh, come October when the season begins. So uh, make sure to check that out as well. And uh, and that's it. Oh, oh, oh I almost forgot. Broadlines. Um, I got to get used to that being in Gambling there. talk. Uh, gambling talk. All your all the latest on uh, on the gambling. Boy, did we have some fun with the Kentucky Derby, huh? Yeah, they said nine million dollars in legal money changed hands once uh once they overturned the winner there. That's unbelievable. Yeah, crazy. That's an unbelievable thing that happened in that race. And boy, oh boy, that's tough. I mean, I know that's the rules of the of the sport, but geez, I mean, on a sloppy, muddy track with a horse that gets a little scared and. <laughs> that's why you guys shouldn't gamble. But if you do gamble, make sure that you visit crossingbroad.com and take advantage of all of our cool affiliate links. Which I, which we did. So my yes. family's a bunch of degenerates with horse racing. And on Saturday, um, they all wanted to bet the Kentucky Derby. And so I had to create an account for them on Bet America. 
Um, and use the uh, link through Crossing Broad. Kyle was very excited. Yeah. yeah he called it hot when I texted him. <laughs> yeah, I told him I was doing it. That sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. So, All uh, right. But yeah, a lot of good betting <laughs> stuff on Broadline's podcast as well. Very good. Uh, but I think that's it for us, Bob. All right. It sounds good. good so stuff. Uh, we'll uh, try again next week, uh, maybe Monday. Like I like the Monday. We've we've deviated from Monday a little bit recently, but uh, yeah. we'll see what happens Monday, Hopefully. Tuesday, beginning of the week. We'll try to keep everyone updated. Yeah, absolutely. We'll let you know on Twitter, and uh, it'll be out there. So he, yeah. Oh, by the way, on Twitter, I'm at Aunt San Philly. Bob's at BW Crossing Broad. So be sure to you know send us messages if you have any comments about the fills, and uh, and we'll take it from there. So for Bob, I'm Anthony saying thanks for listening to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. We'll see you next week.